This week on Best in Show, it's all about us. The Letterboxd Year in Review Super Show. Hello, 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 and welcome to Best in Show, a limited podcast series brought to you by The Letterboxd Show. I am Mia Levicino, the West Coast editor here at Letterboxd, and co-hosting with me this week is our old pal, Slim. Yellow. So as you all know by now, Best in Show is all about award season, except for this time when it's all about us. Uh, From December to March, we meet contenders, discuss the noms and gongs, the snubs and surprises in cinema history, and we also let the Letterboxd data tell us why the voters were right, or perhaps a bit misguided. Well, guess what? This week, the voters got it very right because it's our annual Letterboxd Year in Review Spectacular, featuring the best films of the year as rated by you, our lovely Letterboxd listeners. So we are most definitely doing what we always do here, celebrating cinema. And here again to celebrate cinema, plus our community with us, our best in show besties, Hollywood veteran, and our editorial producer, Brian Formo. Happy year in review. And our editor-in-chief, Gemma Gracewood. Give me more in 2024. And as a special treat for this special episode, we have more besties with us today. Senior editor, Mitchell Beaupre. Hi, Barbie. (laughs) Production manager, Sophie Sheehan. Hi, Ken. Head of social, Aaron Yap. Hello, I'm new to this. (laughs) (laughs) London editor, Ella Kemp. Good evening, 2024. And social media manager, Flynn Slicker. Hello. Nobody freak out. We're not going to have nine panelists on at the same time during this episode. Everyone calm down. As the show goes on and we change segments, we will be bringing each person into that specific area of their expertise or just their personal interest for that segment. But first, a little history. Gemma. Take us into the past lives of the Letterboxd Year in Review. Oh, I see what you did there, Slim. Uh, 2012 was the first year that we uh, calculated what our community was up to. Um, At that point in time, Sigourney Weaver was the most watched actress. Uh, Some things never change. However, Christopher Nolan was the most watched director then, and he is again now. Uh, There were just 1.4 million diary entries back then. This year, we easily passed a billion films watched by members. A billion films. Wow, that's more than people served at McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) We have passed McDonald's, finally, Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, 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 our Hollywood insider. Pretend I am holding up a creepy, embalmed hand and talk to me. How influential is the Letterboxd Year in Review now? More than McDonald's? <laughs> the, the only McDonald's that I acknowledge is in the killer's diet. Um, <laughs> as for how influential Year in Review is, I mean, look at last year at the 95th Academy Awards. The Best Picture winner was Everything Everywhere All at Once, which months earlier was named highest rated film on Letterboxd. You know, they go hand in hand now, right? That's how this works. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, this yes. is my Mia, yeah, <laughs> Mia Levicino then interviewed Michelle Yeoh at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is how it works now. Yeah, it's normal. It's normal, and we're all really used to it, and it doesn't freak us <laughs> at all. <laughs> this is only my second 
crew year in review. So I can't say what is different uh, this year as opposed to last year when we were prepping this episode. I'm going to call it the uh, Puss in Boots last wish effect, which is I think studios are more keyed in on how how conversation continues to go on Letterboxd, particularly for films in, that are kind of uh, blooming at the end of the year or if they're trying to maintain momentum. So this year I got a lot Last year, I was having to explain it to a lot of studios what it is. This year, everyone was wondering when they can announce they've won things. So that was definitely a difference. So yeah, this year, they were excitingly asking, when can we go live with this data? And it's like, okay, okay, January 5th. But it's not just the big dogs. Uh, Importantly, Year in Review elevates indie, international, and undistributed films. There are a few of those that register there, which put them back on the table for acquisitions. The Iron Claw this year, which is standing high on the ropes at the end of the year, it almost got into the top 10. It's at number 11, and it, but it surpassed A24's own zone of interest, which had a lot more, uh, had a lot more uh, runway to, to get those votes. Well, you you just brought up wrestling with the Iron Claw, so why don't we tag team it as we previously promised, shall we? Team, <laughs> shall we? Wait, team? shall we? <laughs> We're a happy little team. Okay, well, let's start at the very, very tippy, tippy top with the highest rated film overall. So this has indisputably been Spider Man across the Spider Verse. And for this, we are very, very grateful to have our resident comic book expert, Letterboxd show editor, Slim Mick Slimerson, lead us across the Spider-Verse. Uh, thank you for pronouncing my last name correctly, Mick Slimerson. Of course, it's basic respect. I thought it was Mick Slimson. That's the Polish pronunciation. <laughs> All right, got it. <laughs> uh, we, I just have to say, finally, it's time for the nerds to have their day in the sun. Okay, we've been waiting decades for this moment. Have you? Because hasn't Spidey like been here before? (laughs) We've been waiting in the shadows. And sure, you could say that this is the third time a Spider-Man film has topped the year in review. Into the Spider-Verse was the highest rated film of 2018. And that other movie, Spider-Man No Way Home, was 2021's highest rated. But, you know, it's finally time for people like me. We finally did it. We're being celebrated for who we are and the things we love. Uh, so I, I honestly, this was my pick of the year, uh, Spider-Verse, uh, Across the Spider-Verse. And, it, you know, I had, as growing up a comic book fan, I kind of say it like hyperbolically, but it's it, it's real. Like this feels to me, growing up as in the medium of comic books, graphic novels, whatever the hell you want to call them, this feels like the most pure and, you know, free creative expression of art and writing in a mainstream movie that I've ever seen. Uh, so I'm happy that this is the number one movie. I think it does deserve it. Um, you know, no one yell at me as I say that, please. Um, <laughs> maybe it's better than Empire Strikes Back. Who knows? Whoa! Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm Whoa. anxious to hear from, from our illustrious <laughs> Best in Show panel. <laughs> Godfather 2? I mean, <laughs> it's not even we? close. Godfather 2, not even close to Across the Spider-Verse. I dare Mama you to Mia, make it. Mamma Mia, here we go again? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you folks think about Spidey winning, you know, the number one uh, highest rated overall? I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight Slim. I'm going to go, go hand in hand and Join, join him on the top ropes. I, had, I didn't have it as number one, but it was in my top 10, which I was actually honestly did not see coming for this mm. year. I thought it was, I had a lot of fun with it. And the the artwork in it is amazing. Uh, I like how it set up the characters. 
uh, for the third film. And I didn't even mind the cliffhanger. It was just yeah. a great. It was, uh, it was a great time at the movies. Mm-hmm. But what more can you ask for? I am on the mat. I am submitting. I am. <laughs> I'm. I'm. I'm happy for the letterbox community on this. Look, honestly, I've never been more excited to see the artist Jeff Koons taking the Mickey out of in a major blockbuster. I absolutely loved all the art stuff in this film, and mm-hmm. uh, I saw it with the bad sound mix. Uh, I don't oh, know if yeah, you all remember that, uh, but I didn't think it was a bad sound mix. I thought it was some weird art sound mix and I was really loving the kind of muffled immersive nature of it where I didn't feel like I was being spoon fed I like I had a really good time bad sound mix and all I love that I love the stories that came out about like the young guy in Canada who did the Lego sequence uh, I also just want to say I watched it with bad sound mix as well but that was because I was on a plane um, so that's a good excuse as to why the sound was not the highest quality. You got to compete with the engines. I actually saw it with pristine audio because I saw it at the Sony lot with Lord and Miller present to make sure that okay. all the sound all was right. correct. Here but we speaking go. of, and then, and then I, then I interviewed Shamik Moore and Haley Steinfeld, but that was just to give us this gift of this, these sound bites of them thanking the letterbox community. Letterbox. This is legendary, honestly. Um, thank you for the support. Thank you for the love. Wow. Let's do it. Hey, everyone on Letterboxd. It's Haley here. I just wanted to say thank you so, so, so much for all the love and support on Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. We love you guys, and we can't wait to see you again soon. Hi, I'm Chris Miller. Thank you to everyone in the Letterbox community. We are so thrilled that you've made Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse the highest-rated movie of 2023. We can't believe it. We are excited to share this honor with our incredible crew who poured their hearts and souls into this movie to make something truly incredible. And we can't thank you enough for this recognition. You know, cinema is a collaborative art form, and this film really embodies that. It took over a thousand artists breaking new ground to create art like no one's ever seen before. And letterbox users have a passion for cinema that's hard to find on any other platform. And in a year that has been filled with so many extraordinary films, really wonderful movies, being acknowledged like this from so many of Letterboxd's cinephiles and movie lovers is a real honor. We've been trying to change people's perceptions about what an animated film can be, and you all are helping us do that, so thank you. Being the highest rated on here feels so special. Big thanks again. Thank you, Letterboxd. We are so thrilled that you've made Across the Spider-Verse the highest-rated movie of 2023. I'm so excited to share this with the thousand crew members and artists who poured their hearts and souls into this movie. They made something totally groundbreaking and different and uh, challenging and artful, and and you guys got it. <laughs> you can, you know, scream into the wilderness and... and uh, and try to make an art film about Spider-Man. But it doesn't matter until it lands with an audience. And this movie landed so big. It connected so well with people like you. Uh, thanks to your encouragement and the conversation that you guys uh, uh, create around the movie. We cannot thank you enough from the bottom of our hearts on behalf of this whole crew. Please keep going to the movies. you love to hear it. And, you know, Brian... Step aside. Can I toot my own horn now, just for a brief moment? <laughs> Please. Uh, I actually spoke with the directors of Across the Spider-Verse. 
uh, for a little <gasps> bit. It was an amazing conversation we had. I mean, obviously, I did I did tremendous work with the three of them. Uh, we talked about <laughs> it being the highest rated movie, um, and also a bit about the creative freedom you know, in that kind of environment to kind of talk about that free form creativity that I mentioned earlier. So here's just a brief, you know, a brief portion of that chat with uh, the directors, Joaquim Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, uh, and Justin K. Thompson, as they found out that they were the highest rated movie of the year on Letterboxd. First off, congratulations to you three and the entire team responsible for Across the Spider-Verse. Highest rated film of the year on Letterboxd. Not too shabby. Congratulations. Hey, yo. Wow. wow. That's awesome. Thank you. That is awesome. Amazing. Thanks, man. Appreciate what an that. honor, man. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Wow. Appreciate people taking uh, not only the time to see the film, but to, to you know, give their feedback and, and, and show their love and show their support for the film. I think, uh, and- like we were saying before, every sort of vote of confidence in a piece of art like this allows other artistic types to uh, have the opportunity to tell their stories, which is incredible. I mean, really, really thankful to the letterbox community because, you know, to be honest, people don't realize that when you do stuff like this, they assume that all you do is get positive feedback. But a lot of times we really do wonder if it's landing with people and, and to, to see that many people who like Joaquin said, it's not just that they saw the film, but they felt motivated enough to voice their enthusiasm for it. Um, that's not something that happens all the time. It's often a lot easier for us to voice our lack of enthusiasm or negativity towards a thing than to actually speak up with with that level of enthusiasm. And I, I haven't seen it very often, so you know, it really it really moved me a lot to to see that much you know enthusiasm for the film. Yeah, huge thanks to the Letterbox community. It is a dream come true as a kid growing up loving films, loving comics. And being such a fan myself, to be able to give something back to the little kid that grew up loving watching movies, um, just to be able to be embraced by that same community and see that love come back to us um, is incredibly humbling. It's an incredibly moving and touching experience to know that something that we have made together um, mattered to anyone and that... um, you have taken this little thing that we made to make for ourselves and that you've taken it and made it your own and, and embraced it the way you have. So thank you so much. Thank you for your service, Spider Slim. Oh, Spider Slim, Spider Slim does whatever a Spider Slim does. You will hear the rest of that interview in an upcoming animation-centric episode of Best in Show. But in the meantime, what about the other highly rated animated movies this year? Let's hear from Ghibli Gemma. I love my new name, Arigato Kozaimashita, Mia. So cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we are having uh, some more animation focus uh, in Best in Show episodes to come. But so I'll just quickly say what a simply incredible year for animation. And I feel like I say that every year now, but uh, let's just look at the last 12 months. Uh, as, as teased, Miyazaki Sensei's latest lovely freakout, The Boy and the Heron, sits at number two, just behind Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, this is the film that proved... The master can do straight up horror, uh, or as I like to say, the boy in the heron is a cross between Birdemic and Petit Maman. Um, oh my God. Not a, <laughs> not a sentence I thought I or anyone uh, in film would ever say, but there it is. 
Um, but we also have in third place Nimona, uh, adapted from Andy Stevenson's graphic novel. I don't know if anyone else loved this as much as we have. Yes, I really, really loved Nimona. I'm backing you up, Gemma. Woo! Um, we put Nimona's uh, gorilla shapeshift in our year in review illustration, um, just because honestly, this is such a great story. This film was rescued from certain Disney deaths and brought to Netflix, where it's become a rewatchable classic with a four out of five rating. Um, it's got gay princes. It's like be gay, accidentally do crime. A storyline is just beautiful. What's not to love about Nimona? Um, and then there's Blue Giant in fourth place, a stunning Japanese film that only had a very limited theatrical release, like two days in October in oh. the US, um, which led Letterboxd member Emoji Movie Channel, what a name, to write, I never thought I would say this, but across the Spider-Verse no longer has the most visually stunning animated scenes of the year. This was just <gasps> sensational. What? I know, Slim McSlimson. I, I get my hands on this. Yeah, you do, because I read that review and went, big call, I need to see this. I got my hands on it. Emoji Movie Channel, you're so right. There is a scene involving a jazz solo that is just mind-melting. It is mm. stunning. Blue Giant, add it to your watch lists. But, but when has Emoji Movie Channel ever been wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Emoji Movie Channel is, I don't know, thumbs-upping you right now, Brian. Anyway, yeah. honestly, yeah. we're rich in animation these days. I haven't even talked about Mutant Mayhem, Suzume, Robot Dreams. Uh, they're all eligible for the 96th Oscars. The Peasants from the Loving Vincent team goes on. And Mutant Mayhem... As my son and I were leaving that theater, that was that was when he made his letterbox count. That was <gasps> the moment. Yeah. That's what tipped him over. Um, but, you know, but also ultimately animation this year brought us Spider-Punk. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, how, I, how is it possible to be thirsty for a cartoon character? Gemma, well. let me tell you what. <laughs> You're asking the right person. <laughs> Uh, love you, Roddy St. James, uh, my cartoon rat husband. I know you're listening. You listen to all my shows. Jimma, have you have you been on the internet? Yeah. Incognito mode, please, when you're oh doing God. this research. Pretty much always incognito mode. Oh my God. Uh, okay, so at the at the other end of the spectrum, we have so much love to give for all of our animated friends, but Slim. Do you want to talk about the lowest rated slash most loved film of the year? This is another big entry in Slim Sun canon. Junior mm -hmm. McSlimerson. <laughs> Five Nights at Freddy's. Yes, uh, slash son of Slim. If someone wanted to follow by my son, he's only rated a few movies so far. But uh, so, yeah, this, I think this category, you know, films with a weighted average below 3.0 but with a high with the highest number of likes or hearts however you want to call them and i you know five nights at freddy's i saw this my son and i went to the theater he, he had been talking about this game you know people don't know it's a video game for years but he never played it he was like <laughs> too afraid to play it he would always be like sharing lore videos with me so when we went to go see a screening of this it was like awesome he was explaining everything to me on the entire drive up uh, and the drive back. And we saw it with like a really busy theater. It was full of FNAF, 
fans. That's the abbreviation. Um, lots of fan service, you know, random lines that people were like losing their minds at in theater. So I would have to like lean over to him to be like, what does that mean? What just happened? It was just an amazing time at the theater. So it was like a core, I, I call it like a core memory type thing of my son and I driving home from the theater, him talking about the game and the history and, and the movie. We had a great time. And even honestly, even in like the weeks after, he would be checking the score the average score of the movie. He's like, I don't get it. People are you know, lower rating it. So all that to say is we had a great time. Five-star night at the theater. Don't worry, James. That's what the heart button is all about. People may rate <laughs> something right. low, but as long as they're smashing their heart, yep. you you have been seen and your film will end up in the letterbox year in review by hook or by crook. Shall we move on to more of our most and highest rated uh, poor things? I know there's Woohoo! at least one person on this call that is yeah, yeah. excited. Uh, I am furiously jumping, furiously jumping. <laughs> we all are, I, but appropriately. I am, <laughs> I am most excited to discuss four things. <laughs> Hashtag most excited. This is the second highest rated film overall. 4.3 out of 5 is the highest rated comedy, fantasy, uh, and sci-fi. And we'll get to some genre films later in the show with our panelists. So maybe we should start there with poor things before we go on to our next one. I feel like I'm just going to let Mia go for this because I know from <laughs> emailing Mia speech. yesterday about some work stuff, she was like, can't talk, going to poor things again. So <laughs> yeah. take it away. Well, okay. You know what's what? So I did go try to see poor things, but it was sold out. So then I got a ticket <gasps> for a later showing and then I went again and it was so full that I couldn't sit by my friends. So I watched the Jalo movie that was playing in the other theater. Your vice is a locked room and only I have the key. So I'm sorry. We can cut this all out, but I did not see poor things again in the long run. <laughs> and I'm all, I'm never mad when a show is sold out that I want to see that's in the theaters because I'm like, well, people are going mm. to the movie theater and I'm happy mm. about that. Like, I can't be mad. When I went to go see Godzilla Minus One, it was like a Thursday last week. It was packed. Like Thursday afternoon, right? people were, is cinema back? Cinema's back. Is it back? This is what we like to hear. I would hope it's back, although I just spent yesterday scrolling through reviews of Barbie and uh, every second review was someone going, God, I wish I'd caught this at theatres. You know, mm. what an idiot I was. I was trying Missed to avoid the, the hype, but I really wish I'd seen this on the big screen. And I'm just like, just saying that as a human person who loves movies, go and see it in the cinema. Don't worry about the hype. Just go. Go to the 10 a.m. screening. And you know what? Everybody is talking, everybody's talking Barbenheimer, of course, of course, of course, or Boppy as we call it. But for me, the phenomenon of the year was Barbie and poor things um, mm -hmm. or Frank and Barbie. I've been enjoying calling it Frank and Barbie. If you have a better name, let me know. Okay. Please let me know. I'm trying to find one, but Frank and Barbara is what I've settled on. And I, I just think that this phenomenon is so, so, so interesting because of the mirror image stories that they tell. You know, I've been ringing this bell since the Poor Things trailer first dropped. Bella Baxter is Barbie for the freaky brunette girls. Both represent innocence. They have their entire perspectives challenged by their permeation of the real world. They go on an epic adventure across realms, and they're ultimately fighting back against the chauvinism of their male oppressors. Finally, they're also serving look after look while doing it. These costumes are incredible. They represent so much about the characters themselves. Um, I'm rooting for both of them throughout the season. I want them both to win. Um, and then, uh, oh, the final thing 
that hues, ooh, look at that, hues these films' DNA together is that both <laughs> Greta Gerwig and Yorgos Lanthimos told me that their respective fantasy worlds were inspired by Fellini's And the Ship Sails On. So if you want to fully understand both films, Brian? You mi- you missed something with that great <gasps> summary, which is they both have kins. So like Ryan Gosling and Mark oh Ruffalo. And they're but they're they're both it's it's himbo canon. You know how you know how I feel about himbo canon, but these guys I know delivered. we love it. <laughs> I'm sorry for overlooking them. I was being a feminist and overlooking the men, which is what <laughs> feminism is all about. It seems that what that's what that's what men on the internet seem to think it's about. Um, so I'm just playing into that. But it was not enough how, how how you did not bring in them in. <laughs> yeah. Once again, the men are overlooked as always throughout history. Give them their <laughs> throughout voices. history. Speaking of men, in the entire history of the Letterbox Year in Review, the most watched director field has been entirely and completely male. Not even a Wachowski sister in sight during a Matrix year. It is, mm. it is, and this is, so the thing is most watched includes all of a director's films. And so it's, it's, it's both the films that come out in that calendar year, plus all of their others. And what happens is people tend to do rewatches uh, of a filmmaker's filmography in the lead up to their newest release. But massive news. I don't know if you have an appropriate sound effect for this, Slim. Uh, incredibly huge news and, and sad. It's sad that it's such huge news. It's, it's frustrating, it's annoying, but it's also really exciting. Greta Gerwig, for the first time in the history of the Letterboxd Year in Review, is the number two most watched director in a field that heretofore has been all male. I can't stress this enough. Wow. Every other year, the most watched director category has been all male. Jeez. We're all clapping. A round of so applause. Yeah. Greta Gerwig. So that, that's a vote for Barbie and Lady Bird and Little Women. It's a nod to producer Margot Robbie for her impeccable choice of director. Uh, and it means Greta is also the most watched woman director, but also in Barbie stats, uh, most rewatched film of the year, the most popular film overall, both above Spider-Verse, and it had a speed run to 2 million views. Oh, yeah. It was the fastest film to reach 2 million views on Letterboxd. So... Big year for Barbie and every night is girls' night. That's all I got to say. Gosh. You know, the, if if Greta wants to become the number one director, just direct three Batman movies. <laughs> That's what Narnia could be her Batman. There you go. Um, I wanted to read this review by Ruth Pan because I, I just thought that she made a really great point. It makes sense that she's writing about Barbie to be the one that brought audiences back to the movies. Feel good movies are cultural moments in the zeitgeist. And she's right, but what does that say about Oppenheimer? Because not a feel-good movie, but a spectacle. And mm-hmm. there's something about Christopher Nolan that also always brings people back to the cinema. People love Christopher Nolan. It's, it's the one, it's death, taxes, and people loving Christopher Nolan. I feel like those are the only three guarantees. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, also, like with the Letterboxd community, I mean, a, a new Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan movie in IMAX that people mm. just like their eyebrows perk up. And I love that, you know, I didn't do the double shot. I didn't go see back to back. I saw Barbie with uh, my wife and son in theaters and I saw Oppenheimer, I think at a screening in IMAX. Um, but yeah, Oppenheimer, third highest rated film overall, highest rated drama. Most watched director. Most yeah. watched director overall, Christopher Nolan. So there you have it. Mega. I saw it in IMAX with my astrophysicist brother-in-law. And oh. honestly- 
I think if anyone can do an immersive screening like that in their life, it's the best thing ever. He was leaning over to me and going, see that guy with the bongos? He's really like that. And blah, 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 blah. And this Jack would Quaid. happen. And Jack every- Quaid, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Quaid mention. <laughs> and, and when I was like, I don't know about all this sex stuff. I don't know about Florence Pugh having to be cast to do this stuff. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. They were at it like rabbits the whole time. <laughs> I I don't remember bongos in Oppenheimer, but there's bongo but butt bongos in uh, in Maestro. <laughs> it all comes back to butts and bongos. Yeah. Is that a nano genre that is yeah, at the top of Brian's list? Butts and bongos. Maestro and Oppenheimer are the two movies. <laughs> the um the New York Film Critics Circle felt the same way uh, as the Letterbox community yeah. about director Christopher Nolan um, awarding him best director, and they had their uh, gala this week. And um, we managed to get a moment with the team from Oppenheimer. What the? What? What the heck? Well, um, Oppenheimer was the top-rated drama in 2023 on all of Letterboxd. Do you have a statement for the Letterboxd users? Thank you so much. I mean, that means a lot. It's great. Fantastic. I mean, uh, that's a wonderful honor. Yeah, anytime you, you get an award, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a big motivation, you know. It's... it's you, you you know you it's 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 like fuel you know to uh, to get some sort of a token of appreciation thank you very much that was Hoyta van Hoytema the cinematographer of Oppenheimer and thank you Julia Barrett Mitchell for wielding that letterbox mic in front of in front of those in front of those guys um Mia and Brian you've had an incredible year being in front of uh some of the greats how have you coped Oh, I haven't yet. Um, I'm waiting for that to kick in still. I think I said that last year too, and uh, I still don't know how I keep getting into these situations. Every time I'm told I'm going to be talking to like Greta Gerwig or Martin Scorsese, I just have to put that in a different part of my brain or else I'll go mad Um, in a positive way. Very good way. Words of the wise, it's just on to the next one, which is Mm -hmm. also... (laughs) <laughs> basically how Greta Gerwig did her uh, 29 films that inspired Barbie uh, letterbox list for us. And one of the best things to come out of that was uh, it inspired a lot of our community to watch films that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise, like Fellini's In the Ship Sails On, which you already mentioned, a lot of Pressburger, uh, A Matter of Life and Death, and also, you know... Actually, uh, Mia, you did this Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That was your first time because of Greta. Mm. Yes, yes. And I got to chat with her on the red carpet outside of AFI Fest, who was screening Pee-wee's Big Adventure because it was one of the films that she chose um, because she was a guest programmer at the fest. Um, And here, if you can believe it, here's a little chat from that. So you you and Barbie have become... (laughs) <laughs> the fastest film to reach 2 million logs on Letterboxd in our history. Oh, wow. Yes, wow. and it's going to be all over your in review in all these different categories. So just the people love you. And I was just wondering if you have a message for the young cinephiles who just love Barbie and your whole body of work. I know, it's a big I'm, question. No, I'm just so happy young cinephiles exist and that they're um, keeping the, you know, the conversation around movies alive. I think that that's such a... A critical part of everything is like it's a conversation between movie makers, movie watchers, 
critics, people who love films, like that's what it is. And so the fact that it's um, still going is really great. And it's also, yeah, I mean, it's like film history. It's just wonderful. I'm, I'm so glad young people are excited about movies. Me too, young people. <laughs> Thank you, Greta Gerwig. I love you, Greta Gerwig. So aside from my 11 minutes in heaven with Marty, perhaps my best moment of 2023 was this moment that you just heard. Right before that, she actually recognized me on the AFI Fest carpet from our watchlist interview and we made eye contact like in Francis Ha where she like kind of smiled at me and then she rushed over and went Mia and I was oh like, my god my so name. next gonna be it was gonna be you next time you see Tom Cruise for Dead yes, Reckoning Part 2 that will happen me and Tom Tom saying Slim McSlimerson <laughs> Well, I actually, I have a mailbag question from me. Hmm. Hang on, hang on. Uh, Gemma. Oh, yeah, here we go. (laughs) What can you tell us about the new section in this year in review? Most hearts to views. Mia, you should know. You inspired this. It was it was you. You invented this in the first season of Best in Show. The Trick heart question. rate. Trick question. Uh, so the heart rate, uh, or most hearts to views, is the film with the highest ratio of hearts to watches, which basically means essentially of those who have seen it, whether that's a thousand or a million people, no matter their rating, they are also pounding that heart button. They really Really love it. Um, Naturally, Spidey is in the top five in this brand new category. Godzilla minus one. We love our kaiju, but neither of them took the number one spot. And this is my favorite thing about the Letterboxd Year in Review is how our data bubbles something up to the top that we all need to know about. So so the top spot in the most hearts to views went to a film directed by Yandy Lawrence called Falling in Love Like in Movies, which just sounds like letterboxed bait to me. Uh, It's got a 3.8 rating. That is uh, nothing to be sniffed at. Uh, But more tellingly, almost everyone who has seen it has pounded that heart. Val, the movie guy, writes, Christopher Nolan literally wishes he made a non-linear movie this good. Colour me intrigued. It's on my watch list. We're in touch with the filmmakers to find out when we can see Falling in Love, like in movies, outside Indonesia. So stay tuned. Christopher Nolan, retire. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I am very excited for this. I had not heard of it until this year in review. And then I was like, what is this? I, I love any movie that's about a lonely person who's obsessed with cinema. That's very <laughs> telling about what I like. Um, and I feel like the letterbox community is going to eat it up. I've already seen a lot of reviews that are like, this is just every letterbox member. This is what their life is like. Because um, I think it's just about a guy who's fantasizing a lot, like in the, about because he loves movies. Um, welcome mm-hmm. to our world. Welcome to our world. So this next category, I guess, technically I didn't invent it. So what's the point? <laughs> the world of cinema. No, it's a very exciting category. World of cinema. It's beautiful. Gemma, what is this? This is us deciding that having an international feature category is just plain weird for a global film community Uh, because Hollywood's marketing machine still means that Western films tend to dominate year-end best-of lists and we never get to find out as a community what films from Asia or Oceania or uh, South America or Africa we should be also watching, adding to our watch lists from the past year. So, So instead of having one lame international feature section like Every major award ceremony does. We've just gone for six regions. 
So I see in these lists, we've got the Moroccan box office hit, The Blue Caftan. You've got Garan Stilevsky's beautiful, yearning Aussie romance of an age. And Laura Citarella's Argentine epic Tranquil Lanquin in there. And then finally, we've got When Evil Lurks. Ooh. <laughs> and we'll talk a little bit more about that in our genre chat coming up. Another category that's great for global cinema is our ones to watch section, which pulls out the 10 highest rated that fell below our ratings minimum. Topping that list is a Venezuelan film called Simon, and the beautiful Australian film Shada is also in there. As for North America, to be honest, the list looks a lot like our general highest rated list, but there was something we discovered as we were going over North America's 2023 releases. That's right, Slim. We have a whole page devoted just to Canada. Thank you so much, Brian and Gemma. We will have you back a little bit later, but for now, we just gotta bring in Sophie Shin to talk about Canada's extraordinary cinematic year. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I'm leaving. Sorry, sorry, I cut it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sophie Shin, Canada's own. Welcome to the Letterbox Studio. You're here to talk about quite a few winners. So, what do you have for us? Yeah, I mean, first of all, thank you for having me to 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 talk Canada. When when I was in, invited on, I feel like oh, okay. <laughs> Is that my walk off music? Yes, so it's getting played off already. <laughs> this is going great. This is going Sorry, great. Sorry, pause for editing. Continue. <laughs> no, when um. When Gemma first invited me on, she's like, hey, do you mind coming on uh, the year review episode to talk about Canada and Beyonce? <laughs> I just like did the saluting emoji and like, <laughs> I'm going to do my part. Um, but yeah, no, this is super exciting. I feel like it's been a really amazing year for Canadian film and Canadian movies, just getting a spotlight on a larger scale. I feel like when you initially think about Canada and film, it's a lot of like, you know, a lot of American productions come in film in Toronto and Vancouver pretending to be big American cities. But I feel like there was a lot of like really good, like specifically Canadian stories out there this year. Um, so it's really cool that we got to like spotlight them in our year in review. The number one uh, movie in the Canadian section is Rice Boy Sleeps, which is just such a, a quietly gentle, devastating, beautiful film. I mean, this one hit like particularly close to home because it's about this Korean single mom um, immigrating to Canada in the 90s. And um, like I'm Korean Canadian. My dad immigrated here when he was three years old. So there's a lot of things in this movie that I just like deeply related to. I also think it's just such a great moment in general for immigration stories as well, like like putting immigrants at the forefront and kind of showing different ways that generational trauma can can mm -hmm. can happen um in within these uh immigrant stories so i highly highly recommend um rice boy sleeps it's 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 so good um the kid in it is amazing another one on the list that's like my favorite one of my favorites of the year made my top 20 of the year is blackberry by matt johnson mm. So fun. I had so much fun in the theaters mm. watching this. Um, I feel like if you're Canadian, you probably know Matt Johnson from Nirvana, the band, the show. <laughs> I, I I love Blackberry. Also, I think so good. Matt's video uh, was was 
was pretty popular once we posted Matt Johnson reading those reviews. Oh yeah. It was a pretty cool. I moment. feel like that was that was one of my favorite like letterbox content of the year. Um he was also it feels like a decade ago that we did oh, that video. Oh my god. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. That's... <laughs> it doesn't even feel like this year. Yeah. <laughs> I also think like Glenn Howerton just absolutely steals the show in the in Blackberry. Like I would mm-hmm. love for him to get an Oscar nom somehow. So if we can just like put that into the Manifest. universe. Um, I, I would, I would really appreciate it. He's, he's so good in it. He like keeps the energy up the entire time. Jay Baruchel is just like Canada's sweetheart. And I feel like he was like really perfect for, for the role. And I mean, the Blackberry story in general is just incredibly Canadian. So um, I was, I was really, really um, like delightfully surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, there's like a bunch of really amazing um, Canadian movies this year. I like movies finally got like a wider release. I feel like it's kind of like a letterbox darling at this point. We love I like movies. Um, we love Chandler. And one that is like not technically, I think, a Canadian production, but a Canadian did make the film. And it is my number one film of the year. At the very top spot of my top 20 list is Past Lives by Celine Song. Woo! Um, I saw it three times in theaters. I cried every single time. And it is just such a beautiful and deeply kind of like romantic story about, um, you know, longing and also just in general, amazing story about identity. Like, I feel like it kind of like explores these themes of, I mean, Nora's identity as a Korean woman and obviously the the story is very much about how her and Sung kind of have this like, you know, yearning and romance. But I also think that Sung is a little bit of a connection for her to her Koreanness, which I found really um, different and, and lovely. So, um, I mean, I'm sure we're going to be talking about past lives so much. And I just really hope that Celine Song at least gets like a director nom maybe. Um, mm. And I hope she... I hope she wins all the Oscars because it, it's just so good. Me too. So if I was so happy to see Past Lives all over this year in review. I'm so, so, so happy for Celine and the cast. And honestly, our community for rating it highly. Go off, everybody. I'm proud of us. We've done it. <laughs> Soph, you want to talk Beyonce? <laughs> I will always talk Beyonce whenever I'm asked. <laughs> yeah, I was honestly kind of shocked that she came up on top for the highest um, rated concert film on their year in review because I just like assumed it was going to be Eras tour just the second it came out I was like there's no way that that anyone can top this but the beehive they they showed up beehive rise up and um yeah I went to to see this with with a bunch of friends and like the crowd was just electric like people were getting up in the aisles and doing full choreo like everyone was singing it was honestly just such a like fun time in a cinema and I'm kind of like glad that these concert movies are coming are becoming more of a regular thing because concerts are also just becoming incredibly inaccessible in general so like this gives us a chance to actually see these like amazing productions and all of the work that goes into these insane productions so um and it was just like a, a we don't get a lot of access to Beyonce. She's, you know, a pretty private celebrity. Um, but I feel like we kind of got a, a look into how much work she actually puts into these shows and and how she really is just no tour and is involved in every single decision that happens on that tour. So um, 
it, 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 it was incredible. I highly recommend everyone watch it. Honestly, the filmmaking is really strong as well. There's some editing um, decisions and choices that happen that are just, are, are so good. Go, go Beyonce. I saw a trailer for the Beyonce film concert. I can't remember in front of what movie. And I was like, do I need to go see this concert in theaters? I was like blown away by just the trailer. I'm just picturing Slim at a Beyonce concert, like eating a hot dog. (laughs) (laughs) Just quietly grooving by myself in the corner of an arena. I'm here for Um, it. I'm also just, I was also kind of just shocked that Taylor Swift's Eras Tour came in second. I don't know what the Swifties, maybe they're just not longtime Letterboxd members yet. Maybe they need to reevaluate things. Um, I haven't seen either, but I I think Beyonce is is the one that I do want to see. Yeah. So before before we say goodbye, what would in your mind, you know, you're looking back at the at the entire year. Do you have a, an unexpectedly emotional moment at the cinema where you were like you were stunned? Oh God, I I I honestly think it might be Godzilla minus one, and it's mostly just because I w- I went into it just thinking I'm gonna see like big kaiju on screen and you know it'll be cool, but I wasn't anticipating how like human of a story it is and I cried three times and I'm I'm proud of it. I cried at Godzilla too. <laughs> so did I did, honestly yeah. I think yeah. that's normal to cry at Godzilla minus one. Yes. If you didn't cry yeah. during Godzilla, I think you need to be yeah. investigated. Yeah. By the government. The theater, yeah. Potentially. <laughs> So thank you. As always, we'll hear from you later in the show during our big stat surprise segment. So uh, you did Canada proud. Thank you so much. We're saluting emoji back at you. As you go to the green room, can you let Mitchell and Aaron know that they can come into the studio? Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Me finding a soundboard is probably the worst thing that could ever happen to this show, I think. (laughs) Uh, Mitchell and Aaron, please come in the studio. If you could have a seat, get comfortable. Uh, you can sit right next to me. That's fine. You're you're both here to discuss highest rated genre. Thanks. Thank you. Can you move? Can you move over a little bit? You're a little. You're a little close. Kind of crowding me a little bit. You're kind of yeah, man spreading a little I'll, bit I'll here, over. Slim. I'll sit in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen those subway videos. You know how people do it in the subway. Uh, but you're both here to discuss highest rated genre. First, what does that mean? And then, what do you want to spotlight? Great question. Great question for the podcast host of Letterboxd to, to not know what genre genre is. I mean, listen, I'm thinking of the audience, okay? I'm thinking of the audience. We're all we're all asking ourselves. So I think genres, where are they? Where do they come from? Who decides what is a genre? What's not? There's really no way to know, honestly. It's just kind of out there in the ether. You just kind of have to accept it. Except for us on Letterboxd, you can totally find out what genres every film comes into. You, you head over to that film page, you hit the tab next to crew and cast, and it shows you the genre. So, you, you know, if you want to see what the, the sci-fi films are, what the horror movies are, they're all in there. They're all in these sweet little buckets that you can check out. Golden Globes, it's more than just comedy, musical, and drama. There's plenty of genres out there <laughs> to, to take in. And I think that... You know, this area of year in review is the one of the more exciting ones because like, you know, Sophie talking about the Canadian movies, it's it's a great place for these little freaks and oddballs to kind of get represented that they're not they're not cool and mainstream enough to to be in the the overall top 10, you know, because not everybody loves them, but the people who really want to let those freak flags fly, they they go, they know what's going on and they get into the genre stuff. I don't know. That's it for me. That's me explaining yeah, the genres. Are. Thank you, Mitchell. We're going to put everything that you just said. We're going to put everything you just said in the definition. I don't know how to come back from that. 
Aaron, come on out here. Talk genre. You're a genre guy. Uh, yes, I am a genre guy. Um, so very pleased to be here. And um, thanks so much for including me in this uh, episode. Um, yeah, just I don't know how to follow up Mitchell's uh, very thorough explanation there. I think it, it works for me. And um, I don't know. I, if I had to say something, I might not put jo- uh, drama in here. I don't know. I, I feel like drama is eyebrow raise at drama there, but I, I can live with it. <laughs> No, we need some drama. We need some con- drama. <laughs> we need some, some conflict drama, yeah. in here. Let's start yeah. some fights. Uh, well, we, do we want to start off with the sci-fi genre? That's a classic genre to start off it's with. My fa- is it it's not? one of my faves, honestly. Yeah. yeah so the the sci-fi category for this year was ultimately won by Mia's beloved Poor Things, um, which I'm sure is getting talked about plenty on this great episode. Um, And my big sweet beauty Godzilla minus one is in the runner up spot, which Sophie just talked about beautifully. I could hear it. I could hear it from the green room. Sophie talking about (laughs) crying during Godzilla, which we all did. Um, But yeah, so I wanted to look at kind of the, the more, the five to 10 cat, you know, sections of, of it. And um, I think one that I really love is uh, Jewel Taylor's Netflix movie. They clone Tyrone. It was kind of dropped quietly on Netflix in the summer and one of the reasons that I love Letterboxd is because Netflix dumped it a little bit. You know, it's one of these movies that just drops on a streamer, kind of disappears into the ether. You don't really hear it get talked about. But so, like, I wasn't super aware of it. Um, like, I just, you know, John Boyega was in this thing. I don't know. Not a lot of people are talking about it leading up to it. Um, I hadn't seen it on Twitter or whatever. So I didn't think I was going to watch it. But then after it came out, um, I saw like all these people I follow on Letterboxd logging it and giving it like really high ratings. And I'm like, oh, is they clone Tyrone kind of a banger? All right, let me check this out. So I threw it on on like a Saturday uh, afternoon. And uh, yeah, it rules. Um, it's like an absolute blast. It stars John Boyega, Tayana Paris and Jamie Foxx. Um, they're playing a drug dealer, a sex worker and a pimp, respectively. And that, like it's like a throwback. I don't know if it specifically says what era it takes place in, but it feels like very like 70s. Um, and they uncover this like freaky government experiment and conspiracy happening like underneath their town. Um, I don't want to give too much away because honestly, one of the thrills of it is like discovering what's going on as you're watching it, but it's, it's a really fun ride. It's got this really distinctive flavor to it that is knowingly like influenced by a lot of genre faves, slim, um, John Carpenter's like eighties, early nineties, like his like apocalypse kind of run is definitely like seeded through this a lot. I know They Live is a film that Jewel Taylor talked a lot about being like a heavy influence on this. And you can definitely feel that. Um, It does a thing where it's shot on digital, but it's made to look like film, which Mm. normally I find a little bit like cloying. Like if you want to shoot on film, just shoot on film. I know it's more expensive, but like, you know, let's not, let's not pretend, but (laughs) I actually really like it in this. It gives it this like grindhousey kind of tone. Like I, I would love to have seen this like on a drive-in screen, like with a bunch of friends, you know, maybe some marijuana, whatever, whatever, just hanging out, having a good time, you know, watching this. Like it feels like a thing that should be boosted like on the back of somebody's like sheet metal in the backyard, you know, like it's it's just a really fun ride. Mm. It's not to, you know, say how great Letterboxd is, but I mean, how many movies honestly do we see in our feed that were like, what is this? And it turns out to be some direct-to-streamer that otherwise, if you're not spending an hour tapping the button through, like, Prime Video, you're you're probably never going to hear about because they don't put, like, this a big enough marketing push behind them. So you have to rely on your friends on Letterboxd, honestly, to, like, discover some of these movies. 
exactly. It's like number six in the like Netflix top 10 of the week for like three days when it comes out. And then the next week it's just gone. It's buried yeah. into the algorithm. You got Great British Baking Show or whatever is, is taking up its slot, um, which Survivor. we all like, which we all like, which we all enjoy. We all like the show. You know, you just, you, you miss them. I don't know. Aaron, what about you? What are, what are some sci-fi ones that you really like? Um, yeah. So just looking at that list, I still haven't seen They Clone Tyrone. It was like you, I, I saw the, um, like the early kind of buzz online and I, I definitely chucked it on my uh, Netflix uh, watch list and my Letterboxd watch list and it's still sitting there. Which uh, says a lot about Netflix in general, I guess. Um, the one I wanted to point out in the uh, your review is uh, the Artifice Girl. I was really surprised that it actually made it in there. Is sort of um, there hasn't been that much of uh, I don't know. Like I don't know if any many people know about this film. I, I saw it at Fantasia Fest, I think, last year, or the year before, and it was definitely one of the ones that stood out for me as a this. You know, really great example of um, a low-budget sci-fi film with you know really rich, provocative ideas. Um, that those kind of films really, uh, I don't know. That's that's why I go go to those um, genre festivals for uh, dig mm. out these kind of films. And uh, the Artifice Girl um, definitely stood out from the lineup that year. And um, I think if you like anything like an Ex Machina or a, you know seventy sci-fi films, this one has that kind of vibe, very uh, compact. Also Primer, I, I throw it in there. Um, it's about an AI program that um, sets out to um, catch predators online. And the film's all about the implications of what that means and how it can, you know, get out of control or if it's, you know, similar way with, you know, moderating, moderating online communities and all that kind mm. of stuff. But yeah, um, if you like talky sci-fi small films, this one is definitely a, a great one to check out. Um, yeah. And now we get to go on to Aaron's favorite genre, drama. And I, you know what? I've been thinking about <laughs> nice what segue. you brought up. I've been thinking about it. And you know what? Doesn't every movie have drama no matter what? Is that true? Can we say that? Great question. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. No, for real, guys. Let's talk about drama. Let's get serious like a drama, okay? Mitchell. Can we please get serious on this podcast? Can we get serious please? on this I've show? been waiting for us to get serious. It's been an hour plus, and we're not, we're not getting there. Yeah. Your number one movie of the year was a drama. Is that true, Mitchell? Can you confirm or deny those rumors? I can confirm. I can. The people have been talking. The people have been asking, Mitchell, what's your favorite movie of the year? Is it a mm -hmm. sci-fi? Is it a comedy? Is it- Saltburn. Animation, just kidding, Guillermo del Toro. Animation is not a genre. We all know it. I heard that Saltborn. I just caught that. That it just caught up with me. My favorite movie of the year is our number third highest rated drama on year in review, which is Justine Triet's Anatomy of a Fall, the Palm Door winner. I don't palm neon neon write in and let us know what's more prestigious, Palm Door or Mitchell's favorite movie of the year. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, Anatomy of a Fall, like if you don't know what Anatomy of a Fall is about, it's a woman played by uh, Sandra Hewler is put on the stand for two and a half hours, accused of murdering her husband who died in mysterious circumstances. Oh no. Did she do it? Did she? Slim? I don't know. Did she do it? You don't, I don't know. know. I haven't watched I, neither it Neither do we. Neither there do was, we. There was, wait. <laughs> I there was a giant billboard by my apartment that just said, <laughs> "Did she kill her husband?" Like it's not just "Did she do it?" It's like, "Did she kill her husband?" And I was like, "I don't know if this really represents what the movie's about or its vibe." 
But maybe that's yeah. what we need to do to get American audiences to see it. Sadly, probably. <laughs> I mean, that's part of that's part of why. Like I, you know, if you know me, you know I love a courtroom drama. This year was a big year for courtroom dramas. Shout out the Burial. Shout out K Mutiny Court Martial. Big movies, very good. Everybody loves them. Um, and I mean, I doubt you will fall. Like it's it takes this interesting path where it's set up as this big courtroom drama, but, and it is that, like it is very fascinating for people who don't know the French court system. It is bananas, uh, which you see a lot of in the movie. The The prosecutor in this is literally reading from like books that this woman has written and using that as like evidence of her committing this crime from nonfiction books. Like you wrote this story once. This is obviously evidence of you killing your husband, right? Is that is that allowed in France? I don't know. It seems like it. It seems like it. They allow it in the movie. And, but like what's, what's most fascinating is how the courtroom drama aspect of it ends up becoming the sort of like dissection of the marriage that this woman had with her husband and how these like, deep-seated resentments kind of build up over time and you get especially with two creatives in a relationship together there's all of this like ache and jealousy and rage mixed in with caring and compassion and like you're seeing this woman dealing with all of this being put under the microscope being put on this national lens um while she's also dealing with the fact that her husband just died and like trying to navigate raising a son while also, you know, the son is in the spotlight. The son, by the way, maybe the greatest child performance in the history of cinema. Like he is absolutely incredible. And to boot, the dog in this? The dog. What is this dog? Like who trained this dog? The dog's performance. And I'll tell you, the dog won the Palm Dog at Cannes as well. Deserved. And very deserved because I heard people talking about the dog in this being good. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, dogs are great. We all love dogs. It's impressive when they do things on film. But then you watch the movie and you're like, how did they get this dog to do this? It's like, yeah. Mia, Mia, you know, you've seen the movie. I know. How, how it's good the is greatest that dog? dog. It's the greatest dog performance since The Thing. I mean, one of those scenarios where like, do I ask if the palm dog is a real thing or not? I'm too Slip. afraid to look even it up, ask. Buddy. There's I'm a Wikipedia page look for it. Up. I'll show you. I'll send you the pics. They do a ceremony. <laughs> They award the dog. It's like a do bib. I need to move to France? Do it's I need to do this? Something we should do finally. here. I don't understand why we don't do it here. America's already so dog centric. Why don't we just? What is? Does anyone know what the translation of Palm Door is? Can we? We'll do an American version of that. We'll, we'll check. Does that anybody out. know? <laughs> we we are rapidly running out of time. We have so many panelists to get to. But Aaron, I do want to hear from you uh, about action, the real ultimate genre in about movies. action. Okay, let's let's get into action for this uh, section. Um, best action movie of the year, um, Godzilla minus one. Sure, correct. Uh, definitely one hundred percent. I was just thinking before this that I, I for the favorite cinema experiences of twenty twenty three piece that we all did. I put The Innocence, which I still stand by. But then I just remembered I did see Godzilla minus one, and it was definitely for like a huge kind of blockbuster, big screen experience. The IMAX screening I went to was amazing. Mm. I think it, um, it also a film that kind of snuck up on you that in the sense that there was a little buzz, but there wasn't that much buzz when I went to see it. That moment sort of wasn't happening yet. And so you just on that sort of um, brink of this thing exploding and you actually was in that screening and you felt the vibe in the room and it was just, yeah, utterly sensational. I think I'm not a Godzilla fan, um, but now I am. 
<laughs> I don't nice. know. I, I want to go back and watch all the, uh, you know, all, all Toho movies. And um, I, I was kind of, I was in Tokyo a couple of months ago and I, I saw all the, um, the promotional kind of the marketing around the place and it was, I was already buzzed for it. I, you know, I saw the monster and everything and can I call it a monster? Is it a monster? You can. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a can. creature. Um, it's a creature with humanity and a soul. I remember when, when Minus One was announced, I remember, and, and like, it was separate from the Shin Godzilla universe. I was like, why did they, do they ever need to make another modern Godzilla after Shin Godzilla? And I was completely wrong. Like mm. I was, I was shocked by how much I loved the minus one. Aaron, pretend that I'm shining a really bright light in your face. Okay. Did you cry during Godzilla minus one? <laughs> um, I, you know, definitely moments where my, my heart sort of, you know, I, I felt it fluttering and, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, not an easy crier. I'd say. <laughs> Getting some nice bonding, vulnerable moments, and of course, listen. We all said if if we know that someone that didn't cry during minus one, they would be investigated. I'm sorry, we have to hand you over to the authorities. That's Aaron. true. Yes, Aaron, we're escorting you off <laughs> to be handed over. It's, it's, it's no past lives, but you know, <gasps> true, true. Godzilla, you minus saved one. yourself with that one. Yeah. We're calling them off now. Holy You're safe. smokes! Well, Mitchell, Mitchell, Crocodile, thank you so much. Aaron, please stick around for some horror chat, will you? I'll be around in handcuffs in the back room. <laughs> yes, you. Back of the paddy yeah. wagon. We'll I'm put asking a mic you, in the please stick around, but we made sure already. Mitchell, can you can you let Flynn know in the waiting room that she can uh, join the studio for the horror chat? Flynn, Flynn, get in there. Flynn, Flynn. <laughs> Thank go, you, Mitchell. We'll, we'll hear from you uh, later in the show. Flynn, welcome back to the Letterbox Show. Have a seat. Hello. Get comfortable. I'm glad to be back. My first best in show appearance. Wow. Okay. Welcome. Okay. Big debut. Big debut. I'm very excited. So you are not only just the genius brains behind our social team, but you're also the horror expert. So what is at the top of the list this year? And also, what did you think? Flynn, kick us off. Okay. First, I feel like a fake horror fan because I've only seen two of the top 10 highest rated horror. But that's because I think this year I was focusing on getting into 80s horror. So Mm. I think I saved myself there. That's very valid. Yes. The two I've seen is Talk to Me and Scream 6, which I'm not going to talk about Scream 6 um, just for reasons. And I'm going (laughs) to talk about Talk to Me, which really surprised me. And it frightened me a lot. Uh, which I was surprised about because of, I don't know, I feel like newer movies just don't have like the shock value that they used to. I don't know. I haven't found a movie recently that has really scared me like this one has. So I was really excited about that. And I was actually invited to watch this um, at Regal. And it was one of their mystery Monday movies that they do. Oh my God. So A24 invited me and I knew what the movie was. But sat next to me was a mom and her six-year-old daughter. So I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. No. But I didn't want to say, like, what the movie was before it came on the screen. So, you know, it started. And then I think they realized that it was starting to get scary. But they stayed the entire time, which I was a little shocked about. But the daughter ended up watching, like, a show on the mom's phone. So it was a little distracting, (laughs) but it didn't take away... (laughs) It didn't take away from how scary it was, which I think is just like yeah. an ode to the movie. You know, it's just like, I don't know. It 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 worked still. I mean, it was an experience. Yeah. It was 
it was fun sitting next to a six-year-old watching like Teletubbies or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lynn, I just want to say I had a similar experience where I also went to the Regal mystery movie, but I knew what yeah. it was and nobody else did. And then it played. But my difference was a lot of people walked out. They got really scared. Like in the after the first yeah. opening, there were so oh many gosh. walkouts and people like yelling, like actual like screams yelling. and jumping. And they just like had to leave. They're like, I can't do this and left. <laughs> Going to like a mystery. I've never been to a mystery movie night. There's some theaters in Philadelphia that do it. I honestly would be too scared to even attempt that. Like, what if Same. it's... I can't yeah, do I don't think I would know, do what that. What if it's something I don't want to see? Because you, like, pay for you know? it, but you don't know what you're watching. Like, what if it... I don't know. Like, that time when everybody thought they were going to see The Fablemans, but then it was that Ryan Reynolds, Will Ferrell Christmas movie, Spirited. <laughs> Who remembers that? I'm too scared that could happen to me. I would be livid. I would be livid, so... <laughs> That's exactly why I don't do that. Aaron, have yeah. you ever been to a, a mystery movie night? And if so, how was that experience? Um, I have. Um, I've been to a few 24-hour movie marathons where the entire lineup is a mystery. So it's, it's that would be the kind of biggest mystery screenings I've ever been to. But funny, um, we're mentioning mysteries because the first time I saw Talk To Me, it was kind of a mystery to me. Um, our friends at um, Ahi... Um, films, the New Zealand Australian distributor, um, Courtney May, who kindly um, set up a nice little cozy private screening for Gemma and I. And we, I was watching this movie not knowing what it is. I, she was just saying, oh, you got to watch this. It's, it's incredible and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a, I wish I saw it with a huge crowd. I think it's a, mm. it's a great party film. Um, but yeah, really great shocks in that film. The cast is um, really authentic and um, uh, amazing. And um, it didn't really stick with me throughout the year, but um, uh, yeah, I can. I'm, I'm happy that it's in the, the top ten for the year in review. Yeah, I saw it in theaters with my wife. We had a great, great time with the movies. Seeing Talk to Me, and there was another. We actually went to also go see a horror movie, which I'm stunned at the average rating on. Just we'll mention it just briefly. Megan at two point nine stars for the Listen. year. What is what's going on with the Letterbox community for? It should be. A five average. I mean, I gave it four stars, but that's besides the point. It should be yeah. a five average. I mean, yeah. that movie, like, that made me cry. It's the perfect blend of, like, every single genre, I think. Yeah. yeah. Plus, Marnie from HBO Girls is there, which always improves any film. She's the best. It was a close battle towards the end of the year, Aaron, but When Evil Lurks placed number two. Did you want to touch on that before we move into romance? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Flynn, you need to watch When Evil Lurks because if, if you think Talk To Me is scary, it's, um, uh, yeah, I don't, When Evil Lurks is insane. Like I've, I've heard things of When Evil Lurks and I've been told that yeah. I would not want to see this movie. Yeah. So people know what kinds of movies I don't like, like Speak No Evil. Like that was when I wanted, I wanted people arrested after seeing that movie. So, but people seem to really love When Evil Lurks. Like it's dark. Yeah, it is, it is super dark. I, for something like Talk To Me, there's a kind of like a fun factor to it. You know, you can kind of go out with your friends and just kind of have a good time at the movies. When Evil Lurks kind of just, I guess it's just kind of gurgling from like beneath the ground up sort of thing. It's filled with apocalyptic dread. It's um, like just stunningly directed. Um, De Damien Rogner, uh, Argentinian director. It's a great kind of throwback to um, 70s European, horror, um, specifically Italian horror films, like people like uh, Lucio Fulci and... Um, just very not not very plot based, but it kind of just drags you along and kind of um, goes deeper and deeper into these kind of dark spaces. Um, there are one or two um, 
scenes that completely blew my mind, just the way they kind of pull it off. I don't want to spoil it, but um, when you see it, you'll you'll definitely they did that sort of kind of um, reaction to it. So um, I, I think yeah, it's number two. Uh, I'd put it in my number one horror film of the year. So um, yeah, go go check it out. I need to watch it like tonight then if it's scarier <laughs> than talk to me. Yeah. But I want to mention just really quickly three, no, four oh movies that are an honorable mention for me that didn't make the list, but Megan, of course. Um, M3gan. Let's say <laughs> M3gan. M3gan. Uh, Evil Dead Rise. Uh, Insidious, Ooh. The Red Door, which obviously like Patrick Wilson, of course. Our friend, Patrick Wilson. Slim's close personal friend. My BFF. Yeah. And Red Rooms, which was... So terrifying. Everyone has to watch it. That's definitely... Red Rooms. You, yeah. It's the underrated one of the year. Um, I, 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 I throw Red Rooms in there as well. I think um, it, it was... There was a discussion between um, Jack and I, and we actually reached out to the, um, the filmmaker. Or, or I think he reached out to us wondering whether it should be a horror film or not, because it is kind of borderline um, thriller, psychological thriller. So there's a bit of a kind of yeah divide and... But it's. I think it's gone into like a thriller genre right at the moment. But I, I feel like mm. it's. I would consider it a horror film. Um, yeah, it's it's chilling. It's a super chilling movie. Well, you know what my main man Jigsaw always says: pain and love go hand in hand. So let's move on out of horror and fall in love with romance. Bye, goodbye to Flynn Slicker and Aaron Yap. Thanks for having us. Bye. <laughs> so Ella is Ella's back. Ella is entering from the green room. I just have to point out too, we had a we had a demand for Ella to be back on the show ever since the Love Actually episode. <laughs> no. The cursing tirade that people experienced during the Love Actually. We were getting letters. Please have Ella on more. So you're here to chat about romance and short films. Uh First, how do you feel about the fervor to have you back on the show? And, and what do you have for us, movie-wise? Oh, fucking thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here to give the people what they want because 2023 gave me what I wanted, which was a lot of romance. Yay! What's at the top of the list? Can you walk us through it? I can indeed walk us through it. I mean, at the top of the list, I do feel like at this point in the podcast, it will come as a surprise to no one. But at the top of the list, in its rightful place, is Past Lives, which is the highest rated romance film of mm. 2023. I mean, you know, I, I feel like I sound, <laughs> I feel like I sound less effusive than everyone else. But it's kind of just because I've just been like silently nodding to everything everyone's saying and agreeing. So, um. Yeah, like it's it's correct. It's great. I'm very happy that it's there. What's on the list that you would want to spotlight yourself? Well, um, I mean, to be honest, the top th- the top five I have seen the the five to ten I have not seen. So I'm pretty excited to actually do some more watching. To be honest, from the year in mm. review, which is kind of my favorite task with year in review, it's like I like seeing you know, certain films, top categories, which are my faves and it kind of validates my taste. But then I like discovering a lot of other ones where, you know, I'm clearly in the wrong, um, which is great. So I'm looking forward to watching The Nature of Love, which played at Cannes earlier this year, which is Monia Chakri's film. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching The Blue Kaftan. I've heard great things about Slow, um, but I want to dive a little deeper into the top three. Something I kind of only noticed when really digging into this there's no like 
Hollywood rom-com in this. And I just feel like, you know, we all have the debate all the time, but like, oh, the rom-com is dead. It's like, no, Hollywood isn't, just isn't very good at making them. It's like the rom-com is doing very, very well in literally every other part of the world, which is not that Past Lives is a huge comedy. Oh, there are moments. But anyway, just like <laughs> romance. Um, and yeah, like, you know, Past Lives, as we have established, is between the US, between Korea, between Canada. Then in number two, we've got All of Us Strangers, which is a British film through and through. Well, British and Irish when you look at the two leads, Andrew Scott and Paul Meskell. Um, I do always find it hilarious, though, when there is a British film which makes so many end of year lists. And it's not out in the UK yet. <laughs> like it's not it's not here for another four weeks. Jeez. So, you know, I've I've seen it and I'm very happy to have seen it and it is fabulous and I think it is correct that it's on the list but it is hilarious that All of Us Strangers is not out in the UK until January 26th 2024 so um so that's cool um but one other British film that is on the list and is out is Rye Lane which is fabulous and is so London um it's very modern it's very fresh it's very original the directorial debut from Rain Allen Miller, who is such a cool filmmaker. Uh, I believe we've got her four faves dropping soon-ish. Yeah, I don't know. I just find the top three very exciting because they're very different kind of romances. Uh, I think like All of Us Strangers is... So it's based on the 1987 novel Strangers by Taichi Yamada. And one key thing about the movie written and directed by Andrew Haig is that the love story in it, um, Andrew Haig made it queer, which it's not at all in the book. And I just feel like when you watch the film, it feels like such like a natural and intrinsic and inherent part of the film that, uh, you know, it could be considered kind of bold to do that, but the results kind of show like, maybe we should do that with all books. Uh, mm. Works pretty well. Um, also, fun fact. So All of Us Strangers stars Andrew Scott and Paul Meskell. Mia and I have interviewed both Andrew Scott and Paul Meskell and on this on this very podcast. And when I interviewed Paul Meskell, I made him say on the record that when he stars in a film with Sir Anthony Hopkins, he would tell us his letterbox account. And like, since that episode, I've had loads of friends DMing me being like, oh, but seriously, what's his account? And it's like, <laughs> dude, have you met me? It's like, I can't keep a secret as if I know this. And like, everyone thinks I'm lying. However... Doing a little bit of research for this, I was looking through, you know, some a lot of love for all of us strangers. Did we know that Paul Meskel's sister, Nell Meskel, is on Letterboxd? Um, so she doesn't follow anyone, so don't try and like stalk her follow list, but she's got great taste. I, I also think like it's funny when people ask for filmmakers like secret accounts, because if anyone follows enough of us, and you just saw like nine of us follow one person right away, you'd be like, oh, who's this? I wonder. And the cat would be like out of the bag almost. Oh, like instantly. Um, yeah. Like the thing about Paul Meskel's, I know this isn't all about that, but like the, the thing that I find funny is like, if the man wants to keep his account private, don't you know that the second he reveals it, he's going to delete like every honest opinion that was ever mm -hmm. on there. So anyway, I have a whole episode's worth to say about rom-coms, but I will keep it very, very, very brief. Um, I just really quick want to bring up one that I I would call this a semi-rom-com. I enjoyed Fingernails this year um, with with Jesse Buckley, Riz Ahmed, and um, Jeremy Allen White. 
Um, and I know that Ella and I both saw it. We both enjoyed. And I really loved the scene when both the leads go see Notting Hill together. And the cinema has a big marquee that says, Hugh Grant retrospective. No one understands love more. Um, I cheered. Audience, I cheered in the theater. But in my head, though, I was very respectful. Don't worry. Um, But in my head, I was standing up. I was giving it a stand and O. Um, So I got to give a fingernails mention there. That one was written by written and directed by Christos Niku, who is a frequent collaborator of Yorgos Lanthimos. So, you know, it's going to be a little a little offbeat, surreal love story. Um, and I will follow any of Yorgos's collaborators anywhere. And if you will, too, then check out Fingernails. I have a tiny handful of honorable mentions uh, for this genre because I felt kind of weird well not weird but I felt kind of weird seeing like the movies that came out on top for romance and then I wanted to compare it with my top 20 because I thought like all of my movies should be on there because in my mind they're all romances and everything is a romance uh I want to mention (laughs) you're all gonna shout at me but I want to mention the iron claw it's not a romance but there's so much love in this movie it's so emotional so much family love um, also, Lily James and Zac Efron, that's romance. So I want to mention that. Uh, I want to mention Priscilla because it's really romantic until it's not. But like, it, you know, it is. Um, it's very, very well done. And like Maestro. I like Maestro. Hmm. I, um, I'm just going to leave that there. I like Maestro. <laughs> <laughs> Can we put that's, that on the poster or the Blu-ray? Yeah. I like Maestro. I like, like Ella Maestro. Ella I just <laughs> like it, okay? Um, oh, also Bottoms. Like, there's got to be a romance, right? I just want it to be the top of everything. You're also here to talk to us about short film, Ella. Is there anything you wanted to highlight from uh, the year in review for short films? There is. Now, I wouldn't call myself an expert on short films most of the time, to be honest. I will throw my hands up and say that. But I feel like this was a really interesting year for short film, uh, I mean, because of Wes Anderson, like I'll say it, he's got, is it four or five, four? How many, how many films is it? It's a lot. Four, yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's got four films in the top 10 for live action short films. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the reason that I'm here and the reason I find this hilarious is because maybe like the biggest moment of my 2023 was at the Cannes Film Festival in May where I met and interviewed Wes Anderson for Letterboxd and took his photo. It was a beautiful, magical moment that I thought would never happen again because the man was never going to make many more movies. And then like two months later, he's like, oh, here is the first of four more films that I've also made this year. Um, yeah, we we had a chat for Asteroid City in May and then one of Wes Anderson's four Roald Dahl films, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, premiered at the Venice Film Festival at the end of August. So it's like a season hadn't even passed, basically. And mm-hmm. he was just already like, here's more. So that's funny. Um, I also think it's cool, very cool, that Henry Sugar like premiered at a major festival like Venice because I feel like when you are in the bubble of film festivals, you kind of just call the film by the director's name, irrespective of how long it is, what genre it is, what kind of section it is. Uh, like for example, Occupied City, Steve McQueen's four and a half hour experimental documentary played Cannes. And then you've got Wes Anderson's half an hour Roald Dahl adaptation, which played Venice. And I just like that people are like, oh, are you seeing the new Wes today? Or oh, are you seeing the new Steve McQueen today? And and I don't feel like that kind of happens often for short film because I feel like in the 
festival context there is very much like oh I'm gonna go and check out the short films today and like and you know of course there's a lot of great discoveries in there but I don't know I liked that I guess the profile that Wes Anderson has and Roald Dahl mm-hmm. as well kind of allowed it to sort of um like blend together a little bit more and matter a bit less and also that there was only one film of the collection of four that played at Venice so it felt like when they did drop on Netflix a little while after you know there was still I mean it was still four films like it's it's not like four short films sort of disguised as one feature which I think has happened with a few things that are like in different chapters plus I think I think too like Wes Anderson doing short films some of my friends probably watched that and discovered more short films than they would have at any other point, you know, they're a Wes Anderson fan. And I'm like, wait, Wes Anderson doing short films? What else do I need to be watching mm, at that point? 100%. And I think, yeah, the last thing that I think is really cool about that whole, this whole thing that happened with Wes Anderson's short films, uh, I think them playing on Netflix, like, asks some really interesting questions about the streaming binge-watching model. Because, you know, we can all tell each other off about, like, how much we will binge certain like 20 minute episodes of I don't know Bake Off no no Bake Off is an hour but I'm not bringing Bake Off into this but anyway other other short things um you know and like I know that for example like my parents would say that binge watching on Netflix is mindless or whatever but it's like you've really got to savor the sort of 20-30 minutes of short films like this it's so dense um I think my favorite of the Wes Anderson films is The Swan it's 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 so horribly bleak and very, very intense and very sad. And I think that um, our dear year in review and platform king, um, mm-hmm. Jack Moulton's review is the best one where he's like, I could not take another minute of this. It was so intense, which I read before I watched it and I was like, oh, that's a lot. And then I kind of agreed when I finished it. Um, and his last line of his review is, it tore my heart to shreds. So um, that's what I'll leave you with. Happy New Year. <laughs> Oh, Jack, this is the perfect opportunity to give a quick shout out to noted Wes Anderson fan and our head of platform content, Jack Moulton, without whom the year in review as we know it would just be a shell of itself. Everybody say thank you, Jack. (laughs) Thank you, Jack. Jack. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Jack. Sorry, I couldn't get myself off mute. Thanks, Jack. (laughs) It'll all sound great in the edit. Uh, might as well, you know, there's so many people that make the year in review possible. Sam, for all their work behind the scenes throughout the year, of course, Matt, the Matt Buchanan for his creative direction, making this whole thing possible in the first place. So everyone back in the studio now for our final segment, Stat Surprises. This is it. This is where we're going to race towards the finish line. It's already the, probably the biggest episode of the year, faltering across the finish line, maybe gasping. Uh, but we want to hear from our panelists about something in their stats that surprised them. Maybe just something notable that they saw while reviewing their own personal year in review. Uh, and then we also want to hear about the one movie you're looking forward to in 2024, Lightning Round style. Mia, do you want to kick things off? Yes. Yes, I very, very much do. So my favorite part of the uh, of the stats every year is definitely seeing my most watched actors. And this year, my top four most watched actors were two of the greatest actors of all time, Hugh Grant and Chris Messina, and also Meryl Streep and Al Pacino. Um, So this was the year of Al Pacino for me. I watched eight (laughs) of his films and changed my name to Brat Pacino. And then next year will once again be the year 
of Lanthimos and Saw. I am most excited for Yorgos Lanthimos' new anthology, Kinds of Kindness, and also Saw 11, baby! I would mention Bong Joon-ho's Mickey 17, starring Robert Pattinson, but the whole of Letterboxd is already excited for that one, so... I'll let it slide. Oh, and if I don't get Rob's four faves, then my career is effectively over. Mitchell, your turn. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me and my stats, I think the thing that stood out the most for me, looking at the the themes and nano genres uh, section, my highest nano genre was thrills, explosives, and excitement, which I think is very on brand for me. But the the fascinating sort of juxtaposition with that is my highest theme was catchy songs and hilarious musical comedy, uh, which is a little bit different than thrills, explosives, and excitement. I think the songs and musical comedy came from the fact that I um I watched all three of the High School Musical movies twice this year, and I also watched uh, Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping four <laughs> times in January because um. I, I had a, I had a great year, you know, doing well. Did not need to rely on any kind of comfort uh, watches at all for anything. Everything's going great. Twenty twenty three, all the way. Um, for for next year, I'll say I'll copy Mia and say two. I don't Mia. I think you said like five. I but said three. Say, I said three. Uh, <laughs> only three. No one listens to the ground rules. They just sp- they spite the rules. I didn't hear what Slim just said, so I'm gonna say two. Um, <laughs> Presence, the new Steven Soderbergh directed movie written by David Kep, who wrote Kimmy, my favorite movie of 2022. Um, it's like a home invasion thriller starring Lucy Liu and Julia Fox, mm-hmm. which is playing at Sundance. Um, and then my other one, Paul Strader is my favorite director. He has a new movie that he just finished filming called Oh Canada. It's reuniting him with Richard Gere, his American Gigolo star. It's an adaptation of a book by Russell Banks, who wrote Affliction, which is one of my favorite Paul Schrader movies. Um, I'm so obviously a Paul Schrader movie's coming out. That's going to be my most anticipated of the year. <laughs> Aaron. Mm, okay. Uh, first up, the uh, I'm going to go with themes and nano genres again. I, th- I feel like this is a really interesting stats section that isn't mentioned enough. Um, and the one that stood out for me in my stats was the third one uh, in there, and it's Epic Heroes, which <laughs> doesn't seem like something I would normally uh, be be watching. Um, I'm more of an anti-hero kind of person. Um, but the, the, the first two are, are quite me, dreamlike, quirky, surreal storytelling, terrifying haunted and supernatural horror but the third one kind of threw me off i wasn't expecting that um maybe it's it's a sign that i'm changing i don't know <laughs> new me new year um and the other one is i uh most watch i watched megan twice i i don't know how that happened yeah. um I, yeah. I, I feel like it was an, an easy watch so the second time was yeah wasn't a problem and diary milestones Interestingly, the 130th and 400th film in the Milestones are musicals um, or slash concert films. Stop Making Sense at 350 and Singing in the Rain at 400. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I'm turning around to musicals. I, I don't mind people singing in movies. Wow. So, yeah. It's, oh, welcome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then most looking forward to in 2024, uh, definitely... Kyoshi Kurosawa's Chime is out there. This new film, which he says it's gonna—I don't know—shock. <laughs> it's gonna—it's not gonna be a good time, but it's gonna be a great <laughs> Kyoshi Kurosawa film. Uh, Flynn, what about you? Okay, I swear I'm not copying you, Aaron. I had this prepared, but I'm also gonna do themes and anno genres. Um, my most watched theme was 
also epic heroes and that's very unlike me i feel like that like does not i don't know that just doesn't make sense um but my most watched nano genre was gruesome terrifying imaginative and that definitely feels more like me so that was surprising um also i feel like i watched more rewatches and like old favorites that i just like i don't know 2023 was a difficult year, so I just wanted to be, like, comforted by, like, my old favorite movies. So I was shocked to see that I had way more first-time watches than rewatches. But my two most anticipated are Love Lies Bleeding, because Christian Store, I just have the biggest crush on. And watching the trailer, I was like, okay, this is going to be probably my favorite of the year. Um, also, Bygone is coming out with a new movie. I'm not sure if it's going to be released in 2024, but Resurrection... I'm just so excited for that. Um, but also I'm really excited for The Unexpected because my favorite of 2023 was Past Lives and I had no idea that that was even a movie last year. So, mm-hmm. or not last year, in 2022. Yeah, I'm excited for the one that I just know nothing about and go into it blind, so. Yeah. No Terrifier movies coming out 2024 that you're excited to see? Oh, God. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I'll have to look through all the films being released in 2024 and get back to you. Ella, what about you? Hello. Oh, there are many, many things on my list. Um, I'm going to begin with the stats. Now, if any of you have read anything I've done this year, you will know that no stats surprise me because I check my stats after every single log for some reason. Um, I can't tell you why still. So like, you know, I knew it was coming. Um, what might surprise other people is that Stanley Tucci is my top actor of the year. Um, and I realized this the moment that I went to see Hunger Games, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and realized that I would be forced to rewatch the entire Hunger Games franchise. And he is in, uh, you know, the initial four movies. So, um, you know, thank you to them and it will never happen again. Uh, the thing that I do want to happen again is I would like Iowa Debris to be my top female actor every single year. I think it was like six movies. Great for her. Uh, very happy about that. Uh, what else is in my stats? Not surprising. Saw Barbie three times. I want three more this week. Um, oh, guess the franchises that I rewatched from my top directors, Francis Lawrence and Chad Stileski. Um, I had a good year. You know, I, I, I like picking certain franchises to like revisit and then just like completely like obliterate my stats. As you can see, I'm talking very quickly because I want to mention many films that I'm looking forward to this year. <laughs> um, uh, one movie. I asked for one movie. No, no well, one has, has only okay, given one. I had one movie and everyone else has mentioned more than one movie. So like, <laughs> I am not going to deprive my movies of being celebrated. Look, I can't help the running order. Anyway, the most anticipated is Handling the Undead. Uh, now I visited Oslo for Letterboxd a couple years back for the worst person in the world. And now basically the existential horror that was felt in this beautiful, lovely, sad romance is much more real as the stars of that movie, Renata Reinsver and Anders Danielson Lee star in this movie, which like is an out and out horror movie set in a sort of like eerie apocalyptic Oslo. So, um, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that. Um... Okay, I'm going to name two movies and not four as I initially planned because Paddington in Peru, holy shit. Finally. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that, that's out this year. Also, like, 
do, do we all know that Paddington, the original movie, turns 10 this year? So like huge year for the Paddington news desk, which is all the way back open. Um, wow. Yeah, just like post us things in the mailbox. Gemma and I will be reading every single letter. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ella. Soph, let's hear it. I'll be really quick um, because I don't want to expand on my stat that shocked me the most, but um, Tom Cruise was my most watched actor of the year. <laughs> and that is all that I'm going to say about that. Slim, don't look at me. I'm covering Slim. <laughs> also, Slim, did you know he does his own stunts? I I saw, Wild? you know, I saw a disgusting Flim tweet about that. That's how I found out that he does disgusting his own stunts. Flim. Um, yeah, so that's that. Um, and my most anticipated movie of 2024 is, of course, Dune 2. I saw the first Dune um, like six times in theaters when it came out. So... <sighs> That's all I'll say. Okay. Uh, my actual shocking stat is is also Tom Cruise related, believe it or not. Um, but it's not my stats page. I was putting together my faves of 2023 and Dead Reckoning Part 1 was not on the list. <gasps> it didn't make the cut. No. Um, a lot of soul, I did a lot of soul searching after I saw that movie. Maybe we'll, we'll hear more about that when Part 2 comes out. Uh, but my most anticipated movie... It's not even in question. It's Godzilla X Kong, The New Empire, Adam Wigard's sequel uh, to the fantastic movie. I can't wait to see this in theaters. I can't wait to see it in IMAX. I, there might be another five bang on my horizon for Godzilla and Kong. So I've actually, this is a franchise I've actually watched and I'm pretty proud of myself for watching this franchise for Kyle Chandler. Do you like the last one? The Godzilla versus no, Kong? Not, not at all. It. All right. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So thank you to our panelists. Uh, thank you for the amazing work that you've done this year. Everyone on this panel has done amazing work, worked very hard for Letterboxd and for their love of film. So thank you so much. We will see some of you in the not too distant future, question mark. Finally, my best in show besties, Gemma and Brian. How about you? Look, I don't game my stats like everyone else, so uh, it's always a surprise. And then it's always basically Peter Jackson and uh, John Reese jones because of all of the Lord of the Rings watches that always seem to happen in my house. Um, but in highest rated actor, I had a little moment. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is highest rated, courtesy of Killers of the Flower Moon and the anniversary IMAX Titanic mm. screening I went to with our co-founder, Carl, which was awesome. But the second highest rated actor, I was like, who is this guy? Josh Hamilton, who is in... Ah, yeah, sorry. I thought that would happen. I love I him. honestly <laughs> thought I'd get a scream out of you. I was like, who? Um, yeah. He was in Maestro. He's the interviewer, interviewing uh, Lenny towards the end. And he is also in Marissa Silva's great 1984 film, Old Enough, which I saw earlier this year for the Letterboxd show, and which I hope gets some 40th anniversary activity in 2024. So I didn't know much about Josh Hamilton, but he has really, hasn't been on my radar. But I was like, this is the dad from eighth grade. This is... He's in House of Yes with Parker yes. Posey. He's Andy in Francis yes, he Ha. Is. He's a Noah Baumbach yes, fave. Why wasn't he a Ken in Barbie is my big question. Anyway, <gasps> I need more Josh Hamilton in my 2024 diary. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I was quite excited by. And just a smug little moment. I had a lot of most obscure movies because I ended up on a jury for their first South by Southwest Sydney. Look out. 
uh, we'll look at and watch a lot of incredible features from Japan, Indonesia, China, the Philippines that simply haven't made it to the West yet. So I just want to shout out Lu Jian's beautiful film, All Ears. Should be on your watch lists. I don't know when it will make it to you, but it's as good an argument as any against AI. Um, it's a film about a blocked screenwriter who becomes a go-to eulogy writer for mm. his neighbourhood. And it's it's beautiful. There's a, there's a ghost man in his house and um, the reveal of who that ghost is is just, uh, it'll make any writer just break their heart. It's great. Oh, good. I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, Mia. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and just quick shout out, my most anticipated for this year is Adam Elliott's Memoir of a Snail. This is the Australian stop motion genius who won an Oscar for his short film, Harvey Crumpet. Um, one of the voice artists in Memoir of a Snail is the French actor Dominique Pignon, who is the star of Delicatessen, which I just put into my four faves in a massive Whoa. 2024 <gasps> shakeup that will surprise Ooh. everybody. God. Big waves being made. Adam Elliott also did Mary yes. and Max, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, just checking in. That one's also a destroyer. Yeah, totally. <laughs> in the best way possible. <laughs> uh, my turn for stats. Stats are the things that, uh, that's what got me hooked on Letterboxd. And Gemma mentioned people gaming stats. I often start the year with a list of directors I want to watch more filmography from, but the actors kind of just like naturally percolate their way to the top. And this year, for me, it was none other than Bobo Bates. Does anyone know who that is? No. No. (laughs) That's actually, that was the first on-screen credit for Kathy Bates, Oscar winner Kathy Bates. But she started her career as Bobo Bates as a folk singer. God. Um, wow. Kathy Bobo. Yeah, so in Taking Off, which was the film that I closed the year with, uh, and she just sings a song in it, but she was Bobo Bates. But anyway, Kathy Bates is an actress that I've always kind of loved because she's she's very um, she's very dependable. She, she her her filmography is all over the place. She also reminds me so much of my aunt, who I love so much. So like it's kind of like revisiting family when I watch Kathy Bates. But something speaking of revisiting that. My second, uh, my second most watched actor was Natalie Portman, who that was in my the, to throw it back to the February fourteen, and because actually Mia already did about flushed away. Natalie Portman was my OG crush, <laughs> but uh, Natalie Portman—that's more normal. <laughs> I'll say <laughs> Natalie Portman and Bobo Bates, uh, Kathy Bates, uh, they actually co-star in a movie together, which uh, is the life or sorry, the death and life of. Uh, John F. Donovan, which is Xavier Dolan's film, which I'd never seen, which is weird because I was the only press to ever visit the set. So I finally watched it this year, <laughs> What? which is crazy. I actually posted uh, the interview that I did with him that never ran because I changed jobs on my letterbox for that film. Uh, it was very, very, very in-depth and with Natalie Portman, but it was super weird to to watch the film because it changed so much in post and the scenes that I was actually there to witness, which were very fantastical, were not in the film anymore. (laughs) And it was like, because it had like, yeah, so there's, I have video on my phone of Natalie Portman looking up at the sky and there's all these envelopes from John F. Donovan swirling in the air because they've shot out of this, uh, Shout out of this well, that's not in the movie. So if you wanna if you wanna read about the movie that he wanted to make originally, just go to my letterbox. Uh so that was a we that was a something that I was trying to do this year was watch more films that I'd done interviews and press and set visits for that I never actually saw the movie for, including that one. 
Uh, and I'll just wrap it up with uh, as far as stats wise, because lowest rated uh, the lowest rated film that I saw this year, I did give a heart to, and it did appear in that section, and that is beautiful disaster. I gave it two stars and a heart is so much fun to to laugh with. I don't think it's so much laughing at. I think you're supposed to laugh. I was sick. I had the time of my life. And actually, Flint Slicker's a fan too, so. <laughs> I think there's supposed to be more of them coming because it's like part of that, uh, it's like an offshoot of that, uh, what is it, like after we collided and all that stuff. <gasps> after? Yeah, yeah. Wait, like the the one that's a Harry Styles yeah, fan fiction yeah, yeah. that got turned into yeah. a movie? Okay, this is part of it's that universe? part of that universe. They even watched, I'm sold. they watched the film in it. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to watch that. I'm gonna have to watch that right now. <laughs> I'm logging off to go watch it. Directed by <laughs> directed by Cruel Intentions, Roger Cumble. So there you go. Masterpiece incoming. Speaking of masterpieces uh, incoming, uh, my most anticipated film of next year. It's gonna surprise people. It's Mufasa: The Lion King. Yes, I'm looking forward to a live action Disney Whoa. sequel. Only because it's Barry Jenkins who obviously. One, this is awards. This is an award season podcast. He 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 won best picture, obviously for for Moonlight. But I actually think his masterpieces came after. If Beale Street could talk and the Underground Railroad are two of the best works of the past decade, and so I will watch anything that Barry Jenkins does. He's one of our best filmmakers, and if he wants to make a Lion King movie, I will. I am curious what the hell that is. So mm-hmm. I am very 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 intrigued by that. And then this is something that did uh, premiere at TIFF, but I didn't get to see. And Gemma and I, we both we both love a letterbox member, Melissa Taminga. She told me I have everyone should needs to look out for uh, Anna Kendrick's uh, directorial debut, Woman of the Hour, mm. which uh, will be on Netflix sometime this year. I'm looking forward to that one. Slim McSlimerson, thank you so much for co-hosting our year in review best in show special. Hey, speaking of most anticipated, because we always have to say speaking of on this show, (laughs) what can we expect from you? Speaking of is actually a good idea for like a podcast name, speaking of dot, dot, dot. And that's just (laughs) always brought up. What can we expect from you in Letterboxd podcast land this year? We have a, listen, the folks that love Weekend Watch List, you know, we hear you, okay? (laughs) We hear you. Um, Mia, myself, and Mitchell are planning something very fun for 2024. It's going to be my top priority for the year, folks. Uh, we're not going to say anything else about it. We're working hard. We're in the office. You know, there you hear like sparks flying in the office because we're working so hard, but that's going to be the goal for the year. Something really fun from Letterboxd, a different show. Uh, we'll see where, we'll see where the future takes us. We'll see where the wind blows. A classic slim tease. We did it. Four hour, four hour episode, Please. folks. <laughs> That's it. That's the year in review. We will be back next week with more award season cacophony. In the meantime, you can follow all of us and our awards HQ page on Letterboxd using the links in our episode notes. I'm just glad Mia is the one who had to say cacophony because I don't know what I would have said. Probably cacophony. It would have been all over the place. Uh, We'd love for you to leave us a review or rate us on Apple Podcasts on Spotify. It helps spread the word about the show. Best in Show is a Tape Deck production.
And as a special treat for this special episode, we have more besties with us today. Senior editor, Mitchell Beaupre. Keep it in. Keep it in. This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast.